Hello, my name is Jason and welcome to DesignCast. It's a podcast where I interview a wide range of guests and ask the question, how do you design education? Why is this important? Students all learn differently and need varied teaching methods to be successful. It is more important now than ever to accommodate and personalize education for all students as much as possible. I use my 25 years of experience as an educator to ask questions and to learn about the exciting things people are doing to provide for all students and their unique perspectives. Each episode, I chat with guests from all over the world, from classroom teachers, authors, consultants, and beyond. We chat around a range of topics that we feel are important right now. Will you join me in this journey to learn and grow together? If it's your first time here, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to check it out. If you like this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, and download from your preferred podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by new listeners. Also, please use the hashtag DesignCast when discussing your thoughts and feedback on your favorite social media platform. To connect with me, I would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. So let's get on with the episode. For this episode of DesignCast, I had the pleasure of connecting with Kristen Mohammed keen Kristen is a former colleague with so much value to add to any organization. Her perspective on her recent experience in an all-boys school is incredibly insightful. We discussed her experience working with boys in several different contexts and what she has learned from them. I do want to mention that we discuss a tragic event in her school and how it affected the boys. This is a very sensitive topic, and if you are sensitive to hearing about trauma, I would suggest starting to listen to the episode around 10 to 12 minutes in. While we are respectful and do not make light of this event, it is a sensitive topic. It is my sincere hope that you will find value in our discussion and will share this with your networks and reach out to continue the conversation with me and other listeners. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Kristen Muhammad King. Welcome back to another episode of DesignCast, and I'm just so excited and humbled to have my friend Kristen Muhammad King with me. Kristen, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me. Humbled. That's a, humbled. My word. <laughs> you're you're a humbling. You're a humbling uh, sort of figure. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, I know it's early for you. It's late for me, but it's just so great that you have agreed to chat with me thank you Kristen. i appreciate it well, and so you. i love a good conversation i i love it as well and i like to say sometimes that i enjoy the art of conversation it helps you to process right this cathartic conversation course it's it's important i don't think it happens at the water cooler it doesn't do it justice right the five minute pass by is not that's right often what you need in the way of processing these like your issues in education yeah we have to have time to unpack these things and really get into the flow of the discussion. So anyway, listen, I've been meaning to talk to you for a long time for this podcast, and I'm so excited that you're here. So thank you for 
finally finding some time in your busy schedule to chat with me. And I really, really appreciate it. It's going to be good. So Kristen, if um, people don't know who you are, can you just give me a quick, uh, you know, 30 second, one minute introduction to yourself and who you are? Yeah, I used to be the youngest teacher in the room. Not the case anymore. I've been teaching for, I think I did the math the other day. I think it's about 14 years. Wow. So when that happened, when I go from being the first year teacher to the 14 year teacher, but I'm in a good place. And I've been international for the majority of my career, so about 13 years. I kind of graduated, left, didn't come back for 13 years. I've since returned home, so I'm currently in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So I've repatriated and in many ways bring home a world of experiences to a place that I think, despite Toronto and Canada being one of the most multicultural cities in the world, that title for most of my life, in very, very many ways, hasn't yet caught up um, to the level of innovation and understanding that I experienced in communities that were more, more homogenous right. um, and more traditional. Well, uh, there's a reckoning happening here. There's a sort sure. of reconciliation happening. Man, I can only imagine it must be really neat to see, well, neat, it might not be the best word, but interesting to see how things have or have not changed in the time you've been away. Look, I, I, I appreciate you again being here and, and I can't wait to get into talking about some of the things that you have experienced in your time as an educator. And so Absolutely. we were talking not too long ago when it, it, there was a topic you and I kind of broached that I'm really super interested in. And that is about how how we look after boys <laughs> in in school uh, or or how we think about their wellness and their well-being and where they are emotionally, their emotional intelligence, things like that. So can you just kind of walk me through that journey of sort of discovery that you've had? Yeah. I mean, 14 years in IB World Schools, spanning Europe, the Middle East, Asia. I mean, you know, every every place is going to have their context, context specific circumstance, right? So it a lot of it, the place I worked in, there was a specific, there was a def definitive culture there that sort of dictated behavior of, of the boys and the girls, I guess there was never really a conversation about this in co-ed schools. There's sort of a balancing act that girls and boys do on their own. And a lot of it means that they're holding back. So I don't think that's healthy. But this issue of vulnerability in parts of Europe doesn't exist. Parts of Europe. And I'm starting to, and it doesn't exist in parts of Asia and, and it doesn't exist in the West either. And if it does, it's very performative. What I think we've forgotten is our students have learned, they have a lot of social capital, specifically in IB World Schools. They come with a lot of capital, social capital. And a lot of what they're doing in front of us is performative. It's not necessarily genuine. They know how to sugarcoat. They know how to perform. They've been taught how to do this. Some of them have been explicitly coached and some of them just picked up on the tips and tricks that their parents have shown them, but they're never going to show you who they really are. There's a power dynamic there that doesn't allow for that. And when you do see vulnerability in the classroom, typically if it's a public display of vulnerability, not the kind of one-on-one -on -one stuff that sometimes happens, it's normally it comes from a place of shame. So like it's parent teacher conferences and you're embarrassed or feeling shame about the feedback that you've gotten or the mark that you've earned. Or it's a reaction at the end of a stress cycle. It's something as simple as getting receiving formative feedback on a task and then it being a purging of things that end up over time, but nothing that you were allowed to release or allowed yourself to release in the moment. Now I've moved into a context in, in Canada where I'm at an all boys school and there are a lot of conversation. And when I say an all boys school, I think 
you know, I haven't done the math and I haven't really asked, but I would say maybe only 10% of the school's entire population is female. I think they only had their first female teacher something like 20 years ago, but there's a 200 plus year history, right? Oh, so, wow. So a space that doesn't have a lot of feminine energy and the feminine energy that exists is quite maternal. And I don't know why I'm dissociating vulnerability with femininity, but that's what we're taught to think about, right? Yeah. That's and so there's acceptable. A, the women are the people that bring that vulnerability in and that sensitivity in. I do think we talked about this. I've worked in schools with very gentle men. I have my experience in international teaching is to be with gentle men. And you'll find your pockets of men that aren't. And obviously, when personal walls are broken down, there can be a sort of there's a friendship bond that happens that really that stuff goes out the window a little bit. But it's on our turn to determine how that that's right. our relationship, how that goes. But very gentle men. And I'm now in a space where there's a legacy of boys will be boys and boys need something different and Boys need a hard hand, not not literally, but metaphorically speaking, and sports there. It's stemming from all, you know, areas yeah. of the school. And there was an event that happened recently where we lost a student and I didn't know how to go into my classroom. I taught this student. It was sort of we took a, a week off to kind of settle. We're going back to the classroom. And it was period two and I'm supposed to or period one. And I'm supposed to walk into a TOK classroom where this boy used to be a, was a student, is a student, was a student. Hard to figure out the language processing grief. But I walked into the classroom and didn't know how to didn't know how to to start. Didn't know whether or not I should just start the conversation, sat down with a peer. We were brainstorming. She gives me this beautiful article brilliant educator gives me this article that she dug up something that she remembered she had read about Holocaust survivors processing grief differently and what the outcome was. What do we do in these dark moments? How do we all take a different path? What what forces humans to choose something over the other? Why did some Holocaust survivors survive and others gave up and some gave in? And like, what is it? And I read this with the students and there was a purging of emotion. Wow. It was a very... I think it's probably going to be one of my top 10 teaching moments. It was just about reading an article and pausing and repeating parts that I thought spoke to the moment that we were in. You know, also elaborating on parts that I thought were a bit too cryptic and uh, yeah. what you do when you're trying to actively read a text. And there was a lot of stuff that was happening. I didn't, and it didn't, I didn't necessarily point any of it out. I mean, you're sitting at the front of the room and you're seeing what's happening there and it's happening to you too. I left it there. I said, that's all I wanted to do for class today. I just wanted to read this article. I just wanted us to sit with our thought. If you want to share, share. If you don't, don't. And there was a beautiful debrief that happened after brief, but it happened. And then I said, and now we can just sit how we want to sit and do what we want to mm -hmm. do. Cause it's going to be a hard day. We didn't retreat to their laptops. They sat there in silence with me for about 27 minutes, not there with that. And that's huge. Even the ones that kind of pulled out their phones and did the little bit of thumb scrolling, put it down. None of that was distraction that they needed. They sat there with that. And I got an email from a parent the next day and I seized because it said TOK class. And I thought, oh no, here I was reading this article mm. about cost and what is this and touched on things as suicide and it was a lot of stuff and I thought was that the insensitive thing to do right and she said you were the only person that our son we asked our son how the day went we talked about it and he talked about your class he showed us the article because I printed them mm -hmm, I printed mm -hmm. the article so they didn't have to look at the screen and I said you can do whatever you want with the article and we read the article at home and she's like and thank you for giving him a space 
to talk about loss and sadness and pain and untimely deaths and stuff that they need to be talking about. Nobody else has talked about it. And so then that that leads me to believe why, what is a safe space to be vulnerable? What do we do for these young boys who have who can become gentlemen? But what are we doing in our schools right now to encourage them? I'm not saying that it always has to be tears and flowing. It's very much ego. And how do we help them to take that down and to become main again? Because we're not teaching them how to be part of humanity. We're not. We're teaching them how to create a power dynamic because of where they, their position to power and how to maintain that. And that means stoicism and skepticism and aggression. And it doesn't mean these other things that come with good leadership. And how do we encourage that in our teachers to to do that stuff, to be vulnerable when we're told about, what are we told about best practice? Kind of be an enigma. If we tell them too much, we're grooming them. If we tell them too little, then that's good. So we're just facilitators who show. So we've come to a point in education where we're really scared about breaking down, oversharing, because that is an issue with with boundaries. Um, but we want them to share, and then we want them to be compassionate, empathetic. But we don't teach them how to be on the receiving end of compassion and empathy in a healthy way. So girls come to. A teacher said to me, "Girls come to conversations assuming they're always wrong." Boys come to conversations always assuming they're right. What does that tell girls and boys about how they perform and how they're vulnerable in spaces? And how do we break that down to make a space safe for boys to sit with their tears or to sit with their confusion or to sit with whatever? We don't build space for that. For me, it took an untimely death of a student and a really hard to read um, essay in a space where they were somehow feeling really okay maybe it's because i was crying maybe because i don't know what was it about room 313 on that day that allowed those kids that and not feel shame the next day but to feel gratitude the next time we sat down and wanted that to be what tok was about isn't interesting how that became the best class of tok and how do we let every class well first off i know you Kristen, and i know you i feel like really well and we've worked together i've been in your classroom we've shared you know time together with students and things. And so don't sell yourself short because I do feel that your modeling of empathy and compassion and being in a safe space, it occurs, right? It's it's part of who you are. And so I think for you as, a, as an outsider looking at these boys, you felt that was particularly vulnerable and particularly meaningful. How do we know there weren't many other classes you've had like that, that they didn't have that outwardly facing experience. But um, I do know you and I do know that you do set people up for compassion and empathy and and being vulnerable and open and, and doing your best. So I, I, I think it's only natural that you're asking these questions and that you're setting up these sorts of conversations. And I think I also want to throw in the fact that we're coming out of a very trauma-filled three years and people have lost people. They they go. They know people have lost people. They've had issues themselves. So I think this is a more timely conversation than we even realized. Mama lives everywhere, and I think we've stepped out of this. You know, I, I think it's child protection. It's a lot of this child protection work that is happening right now as we reckon. Right? We 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 really 
face head on the ways in which education has failed students because of the power that was created. And I think that like, as adults, especially in 20, there's a hypersensitivity about our awareness, our, our understanding of our other power dynamic. And really, there's been a sort of microscope put on every every sort of, I would say, traditional method of connecting. If I yeah. sit with you after class, let's be very clear. I'm going to make the appointment. I'm going to put it in my Google calendar. I'm going to let the everyone doors know open the whole bit. We're going to sit in this room and rightfully so. We need to make safe spaces for both both parties. I can't, I long gone are the days of, oh, I remember in Korea, it would be totally fine. And, and you know, when I first started to meet with a student, let's say a Saturday morning, yeah. it was almost expected that you went yeah. the extra mile, right? For for what these students, for the return on the investment. How Saturdays I think, okay, well, I'll meet you to write that essay because you didn't use the hours of time I gave you in class. And those things were sort of at one point in time, that was appropriate. There will be people that we know who've driven kids home, right? So there's been this whole movement towards naturalizing a certain code of conduct, like where there's a shit. Right. How do we sort of redefine professional code of conduct in schools? But schools, education is a is a people business. We can't we, we've gone from one extreme to the next. So so how do we balance that? How do I, you know, the kids know who I am. They know yeah. my personal story. They know how I live. They know my interests. I think I do that in a way that I think is quite safe. Do I have them on my Instagram Do I invite them over for dinner? Absolutely not. But there has to be some level of sharing. There has yes. to be. Otherwise, we are simply just people at the front of the room who control their grade. Right. That's so right. how do we, my questions are, why does it always have to look different for boys than girls? Why have we structured it that way? Two, how do we share enough to make them safe to share with us? We're still keeping those safe boundaries. And, and and maintaining a sort of professional environment. When and how is the right time to do this work? I was just forced into a corner. I just didn't know how to jump into TOK. Right. I just didn't know. I right. couldn't do that. I didn't have the capacity or the bandwidth to do that that day. I thought it was incredibly insensitive to simply just pick up where we left off. Yeah. But what are the conditions that we create? And then also, is it do we mandate that all teachers do that when we're thinking about an authentic experience? Because some teachers just showed up to teach. They didn't show up coach. They didn't show up to do the PYP. They didn't show up to do the MYP. They didn't show up to, some people didn't even show up to really build curriculum, right? We're all coming to this, wanting something different out of it. So is edu what is education now? What has it become? But if we're thinking about chat GPT, I don't know if you've read these articles. I'm sure you have because you're the design cast guru. But like chat GPT is going to be original modeling of this work and testing was about therapy was therapy because we are quite therapists are quite limited into what kind of questions they can ask and how much of themselves they can share but what a great way to test this you ask me a question how can i be objective in helping you realize an answer that works for you uh without telling you about me if we have ai that makes spaces more vulnerable than our classroom what are we doing and what if we think about international mindedness and sensitivity and care and all those things that we think were the buzzwords and we can't create, we can't say a space, we can't just simply label a space safe and it becomes one. Correct. 
That's correct. Not with the ways in which trauma is beating itself into our classes. You talked about COVID and the pandemic, but what about the other ways that trauma lives, even amongst the students with the most social and economic capital? Sometimes more, because they have the other layers that maybe kids without that social capital have. So yeah, I, I know. And I don't have yeah. the answers. If people are listening and think that I have some like answer, what you said is that and I, I feel incredibly humbled by this. But if you said I have an innate character about me that allows me to do this work, okay, lucky for me. But not everyone has that, right? So not everyone is with that, but wants to still do the work. What, how, or what are, what is it? What, if we're reimagining education right now, are we reimagining it thinking about trauma informed practice? Great question. I don't think, I, focused on how do we avoid the computer from doing the homework. Isn't that funny that that's the immediate thing people went to? That was the immediate thing that how are we going to avoid plagiarism versus how are we going to help students emerge back into a routine of going to class every day and being in contact with people and not even addressing the fact that many of them now have fear, agoraphobia, being around people is scary to them through what they've just come from, right? That being around a group of people is really scary because they were told to avoid people, right? And so now there's these kids that are going into middle school who had two years, two years that were normal in elementary school. And when I say normal, right? I, I mean, and we're not talking about that, but we're talking about an AI chatbot, you know? So, I mean, I agree with you. Where where do we go with that, right? Like, what is... They're not there. The, the right conversation, we're not having them. We're not holding each other accountable. I, I think what many schools are challenged with right now is to really think about their mission. I have never read a mission statement that talked about making kids strong to survive. That's not how these mission statements read. They read very much like designing a world or, sorry, helping students who they, you know, a level of empathy and care to sort of heal. It's a lot about healing, but we're not healing in our classroom. And that needs to be a, if we're thinking about teaching these kids, I think about you read these articles about the most stigmatized communities in the state, ones that are void of every resource, and they are throwing in whatever they can. First of all, they're educators going in with such a le such a su such strong emotional intelligence they're going out of their way to find these uh, you know i call them the sort of pinterest national geographic you know front of the sunday paper educators who are my goodness you know 75 percent of their salary is going towards buying breakfast and, and winter coats right and they're living it in, how in a boarding house with 10 adults type thing right these sort of david suzuki's of the of the education world or the Mother Teresa's, Debbie Davidson is not who I want to call in right now, but the Mother Teresa's of the education <laughs> world. And they're going to these communities and and doing brilliant things with these boys and girls who come from the most traumatic environment. And so much of it is not focusing on the curriculum in the moment. It's not about the con, it's about the character building. We're not building character. How, how do... How does your school currently build character? How? What is the what is the what is the lesson plans you have in place for teaching kids the value of honesty in a very dishonest world? And how are you 
calling on them to be honest every day. And how are you being honest with them? We're not. We have taught these students to be hypercritical and then we turn around and we don't model the stuff. Right. And they question and they ask and they probe and they prod and they investigate and then they lose trust and faith. I think I'm I think I'm scared. Scared in a way. I don't know if you're scared. But it shouldn't be that students run home and they cry at the kitchen table. That becomes the place. And then parents come in and say, what's happening here? And I'm like, well, at school, that's fine. He has friends. He has lots. How many times have your boys come home and have told you about their reality? And when you go and you ask the questions, it doesn't... Mm, doesn't match up. I, I have two middle school age boys and I'm thinking about Number one, they're very, very different. They're very different with the way they share. They're very different with their own comfort around vulnerability. I even am in class, not in classes with them, but I see them like with their That's friends. Cool. I, I walk past the classes there. I have a very fortunate position to be able to do that and to see what I observe and what they feel are very often in very different places, right? Now, I know some of that's adolescence. I know some of that is puberty. I know some of that is other things. But for perception is reality to the person perceiving it, right? And so for them, that's, I, I agree. We're very fortunate. We have a lot of co-teaching going on. We have a lot of support. You know, there is a, a social emotional learning curriculum and 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 thing that, that happens in the classes. And it's legitimate. Like, I mean, like it's really good. But if you're not all bought in, it's really contrived, right? Like it's really, it doesn't seem authentic and 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 caring, <laughs> as you might say. Well, we've all grown up in a house where our parents knew I, I was forced to drink uh, uh, soya milk. And one day okay. my mom took brand and I hated the taste. I took my cup of milk and I threw it in a plant. Now as a child, you don't realize that's going to create a white cast right on top of the soil. It's going to become right. very evident something happened to this plant if you throw soya milk in it. And I was confronted by my grandmother who said, what, where's where's the soya milk going? You know, I'm drinking yeah. it. Of course, as an adult, I realized now you could hear me pouring it down the drain. She could see the evidence there, right? Right, right. And finally she confronted me. But I think we always think that only adults have that capacity to confront. Kids do as well. Yes, Kids they do. Kids know very, it's intrinsic within them when you are selling that a farce. And when kids come and confront us about the why or the how, mostly the why, we hear that a lot. But why? Why? But why can't I do it this way? But why? Sometimes we think, you know, and we and and I think that those are the moments, you know, if we're not going to share about our personal interests and about our histories, we're not going to do that. We need to be honest with them in those moments about the why. And so often we have these very contrived responses. I'm wondering now if it's a buildup of things. If it starts as early as kindergarten where they hear their first fib from us and they start to together that this is simply a place where I come to perform and we don't realize we're being tested every day as the adults. I don't think we realize that. They're looking at us every day and seeing if we are actually practicing what we preach. And I think that they're observing schools and spaces where they see the tension. They experience it. They feel it. And when they're asking us what that is and why that's happening, what's going on? Are we aware? And did we know this? These sort of moments add up. 
So imagine if your boys come home and they tell you your experience and you gaslight them. What is that then telling you about the space they're in with you? So if we're talking about chat GPT and not talking about trauma, true trauma, how it lives, our own trauma, I don't care if you're a cisgender white male, you you have, we all do. And I'm not, I, don't, I mean, I, I hear these stories about share circles and drum circles and I don't think it has to always look that way, but we have to do a little bit better than we're doing right now. If we're thinking about the types of students that we are developing, hypercritical students with great capability, then we have to be, What is? how are we building their emotional intelligence in a way, in a way that allow them to be true change makers? I'm worried for our boys in a way that I have never really been worried before. With the absence of female energy, it's, it becomes even more apparent the work that needs done. Because what I hear amongst our faculty is the women carry the load of that. I'm, I'm sure. What a responsibility, right? What a responsibility. And I, and I, and I think that's tough. That's tough. Um, have you ever heard of Dr. Campbell through Oise? It doesn't sound familiar, but it doesn't mean I haven't heard. Well, so he's a kind of emerging voice, I think, about safe space. He comes from the lens of of what we call that uh, social justice education in the sense of breaking down racial barriers in classrooms and sort of stuff. And there's a little bit of a LGBTQ spin on it as well. He says this quote, and I said it in this in this conversation, we can't simply call it safe and become safe. We right. can't simply, as the adults, stand up and say, it's a safe space, you know? And it, I can I ask how your advising program works in, in your school? What's the model? Is there one? Because that, that, like the pastoral stuff really comes from the Yeah, advising. there is one. Um, and I will say that at this point in my career, I've not seen a school before coming to the school I'm at now that really did it well. It was always an afterthought. It was always uh, something to kill the time between classes or, or between breaks or whatever. The system we currently have, there's a short check-in in the morning. There's a real effort to everyone's involved in the, in the process. And so that brings the groups even smaller. So all of the groups are co-taught. And so you're really only looking at six to eight kids a, a teacher, which really helps you get to know them, uh, which is amazing. So they meet every morning. And then there is a 40-minute block every day after the first class for for that, right? And so you've got on Mondays, it's usually some kind of team building where it's either dodgeball or it's Kahoot games or something fun, like really fun just to bring down the, the, you know, bring up the energy in, in this place. Fridays is reading, just silent reading. The kid's vote on a name and, and they call it weird and it's fun and it's just a chance to read. It's weird to walk around a, a middle school and it's silent on a Friday. <laughs> but that's, that's their text the, with their own text or? They go and pick whatever they want to read. It's anything they want. Wow. But then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are prepared lessons and they all around five themes, the castle model where they go in and they do self-management and then management of groups and and being aware of others' feelings and then collaboration and time management. You know, it's particularly in the middle school, it's really about social, right? This whole idea of how do I navigate being a kid and then being an adolescent, right? Like that process. And so at this point, though, we have not really broached the idea of how does this look for boys and how does it look for girls, right? There, There hasn't really been that discussion. 
So the, it's very down Does the middle. Does or reform tutor with that class the following year? Those six to eight students that I've been assigned, do they become right. my family moving through yeah. the time in the school? Or do and I... In the high school, they do that. Um, and in the middle school, they've done it with certain certain people i think often as you know turnover in middle and element international schools is quite is higher than it would be in a national school or a state school or provincial school or a public school right so when possible people do move with the groups just to create that consistency that 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 time together that bond i'm asking because these things matter yeah. The structure matters. You ask a DP teacher what it's like to you lose their grade 12 class in May, and they will tell you, good riddance, they're ready to go, right? <laughs> you will do that. That is, that is absolutely that like, they, they need to go. We've done all we can for them. They're ready for the next step. I think that that's... Well, they're I adults. Been, they are. They need to they're go. They're adults, man. And yeah, it's time. time. But by that point... There, I think that that helps to offset the other feelings of sadness, of which sadness, is I yeah. spent a year, two years with you working oftentimes pretty intimate groups, right? DP in, in these schools aren't 42 kids in a classroom. I teach global politics. So that's pretty niche. I have 15 in one room and 16 in the next, yeah. right? That's a long time, well, three to three days a week to be sitting for an hour and a half with a group of young people it's not always going to be content things will pop out of a personality there'll be lots of learning i need i need to feel that feeling of good riddance to offset that feeling of oh the little bit of the way the heart kind of oh it's happening again i know they're gonna go and i'll never hear from them again and that's just the wave and, and there needs to be a little bit of that but i think about i think there's something about truck time i think there's something about how we use our time are we using it to constantly teach a curriculum are we using it to create authentic moments of discovery kind of like genuine organic moments of discovery i think about a student the other day that said that iran is just not ready for democracy the class hated that you can know size like well why does every country need to be democratic why do you think iran is ready for democracy not every country is ready for democracy it was the uh in many ways the antithesis of what the ib i think you know, the kids, the kids know the IB language, right? And they're like, you can't say that. Why not? And and he justified it beautifully. And yes, now we know that he's more conservative in his values through that. There's a, still a profound respect for that voice. So I think timing is really important. I think varying your activities matters. I think understanding the students in the rooms and the needs and doing the best possible to give them an advisor or a mentor or a coach who's going to be the best possible person for them. I think there's something said about the student elite athlete who's paired up with a former athlete advisor. I think there's, I think there's something to be said about the Indian boy who's paired up with the only teacher of color in the school. I think there's something about that affinity space that you might create. And I don't, I think we think, oh, well, they just have to, they have to mesh with everyone. That's not society. And that's not the world. We will learn to function. But we won't meet bonds with people who are there are polar opposites. That won't be it. And we might not know. Jason, if you put us together on a poster, people might be very confused. Well what the hell what do they have in common? <laughs> that's for our guide. That is for us to decide 
I think there needs to be something about the identities we've been, the ones that we've been given and recognizing that there might be a something, something there, a shared trauma there, a, unfortunately a trauma bond that might allow break down that wall a lot faster. And boys need it more than girls. Girls just need you to be a woman. And already you have the thing. But it's not the same. Because there's something to be said. Why do the boys need me to be female for them to feel safe? Yeah. To, to really let it out or to show me a side of themselves that they don't show the men. So it's not about gender, I think, when it comes to the boys. It's about something else. And it can be about something else because many of the boys do find a safe space in some of the male teachers at my school. They do find, okay, you know, a moment of of bonding or clarity. Yep. Exactly. Are we really thinking intentionally about how we structure these programs? I would say your advising program sounds like it understands the balance. It understands that balance. I would say my advising program understands the benefit of of time and longevity. I get you in grade eight. I see, I say goodbye to you in grade 12. I welcome in the new cycle. I think there's something to be said about these transient communities. Transient communities, how do you how do you do that when the kids know these schools, they always say, hey, Mr. Hart, Mr. Arnold. I say, who's Mr. Arnold? I don't know who that is. Oh, he was here in like grade three, but I think he left in grade six. That is something, there's something traumatizing about that. Boys need to feel like you are going to be there for it all. They Forever. Very yeah. Innocent when the guest speakers come in and they think you're talking to me for 30 seconds or 30 minutes, I'm not going to give you the time. And it doesn't matter how flashy your resume is. They want consistency. And I think girls, there's something about girls. They don't need it as much. Right. They're fine with the transients in a different way that boys are. But I think your structure it matters. And I see more schools going towards the morning model of, of pastoral time. They are moving towards doing it in the morning because what's happening in the afternoon after you've experienced a school day that in many days was disappointing. When you went to go play with that person, they said no. The teacher handed you back the test. It wasn't good. You were called something awful at lunch. Your teacher yelled that you didn't show up for extra time. And then you saw the lesson and couldn't focus. And now I'm doing advising. That's not building up the day. Jason, do you think that are your boys traditional in the sense that they are like boys, boys? I ask because parents will often sit with me and say, but he's the sweetest person on earth. And I'm thinking, but he's a show, he's a chauvinist when he comes into this space. My, my boys are, I think a big difference for my boys, as you know, Kristen, is that my wife is not from the same background that I'm from. And so they've they've got two different worlds that they've come from. And then they've only ever known international schools with a diverse group of people. So for them, they've been encouraged to be themselves and been encouraged right. to find whatever kinds of things they want. So the, the land has been fertile for them to kind of find themselves. So when I see them with their friends, you know, they're teenage, they're Middle schoolers are middle schoolers, right? So that yeah. that part, they're not the let's go out and rah rah rah. We're going to win the football match or rah rah. You know, like they're they're not that kind of boy at this point yet. Uh, but I see glimpses of that sometimes. But it's very fluid, right? Like I mean, so I also understand that it's fluid, and I understand that what happens one day does not mean truth on the next day, right? And so I think being a middle school educator for 25 years has taught me a lot about how to then approach my own boys, right? So 
I will say I also understand that nobody's perfect and that they um, they have their faults and the things they're working through as well, just like me, right? So one is very, very similar to my personality and one's very similar to his mom's personality. <laughs> Uh, so I do know them from that perspective. But it's the fluidity. I think that's really beautiful that you recognize that there's a fluidity there. And see in grown men, right? We can see that in grown men. Grown men will eventually find where they stand on the spectrum of masculinity. You will find ones that need to be the leaders and they need to be one step ahead and they need to be the providers and I sometimes question whether or not that spectrum, you know, there's a spectrum to everything. But even those men that are hyper masculine, I'll still wonder sometimes if it's more fluid than that. But what has given you, if it has to be, what has given you boys more permission to be fluid? What has given, what has granted them that permission to say, yeah. well, sometimes I'm going to sit and try out, oh, my dad's a design, like my dad's a designer in nature. So I'm going to sit here and tinkle. Girls might call it craft. You might call it design. It's the same. It's the same thing, right? We're being creative. I'm gonna sit here and chat, and then sometimes I'm gonna try a TikTok video dance, and I'm gonna go dance over here. And some, and I see that fluidity in my school. I see it below a surface. When the boys come above surface and they do the thing, like check out this is MK, and then they start to do the TikTok dance. And I say, I don't know what you're showing me. And when they show me, it's really predominantly girls doing these dances. But here they are having learned it and they're doing it with me in a moment in a class where they somehow felt like I could do this here. And when I say to them, why don't you record one and do No, 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 no. And then it goes below the so I want it to live above the surface, the fluidity. I want them to say, I tinker, I craft, I dance, I sing, I cry. I am, I'm, I'm multifaceted. I'm dynamic. And what I see is sport. Yeah. Cause that's what they see, right? That's what they see on TV. That's what they see in the movies. That's what they see online is that they see these things and that's what they've been told, right? Because that's what their fathers were told and that's what their grandfathers were told. And that's unfortunately the, the cycle continues. So yeah. But it can be broken. For Without getting yeah, too personal. Yeah, it can be. Totally. Totally. We've all been taught things that will align with our current value system. It can be broken. I just want us to have more of these conversations, Jason. I agree. What works and what's not working and where is the focus? Because these boys will lead. And what we're if you look at the stats, we're losing our boys. It's no longer just the black boys. And it's no longer the... It, we're losing boys with significant capital, social capital, because we are wearing them down and we're not celebrating the fluidity within them. That's terrifying. It is terrifying. Listen, MK, I could talk to you all day uh, about all of this. And I really do appreciate you just having this wonderful conversation with me. This is so powerful. I cannot wait to hear what people have to say and how to hear what other people are doing in their classes and what they're doing in their schools and how they're helping to help or hurt the situation. I want to ask you one question that I ask, have been asking everyone this season, and that is if you could travel back in time and talk to your younger self, what would you tell yourself? That's a really good question. I would tell her, I would remind her that she's brave. I would remind her that she's brave. I don't, I don't look back in time and think I would do anything different. I'm not disappointed or 
the steps that I've taken and the route that I've chosen. But I, I realized now I didn't know how brave I was until very recently. And if I knew that earlier, I would have probably saved myself a lot of unnecessary stress, right? Because I was stuck in speculation cycles. I don't think I would have gotten to where I am faster. That's not what I'm saying. But look at how brave you have to be to do the things that some of the things that I've accomplished or many of us accomplish. That takes a great deal of bravery. If I had just known in the moment that I was being brave, I would have given myself more grace. But we're incredibly, we are incredibly, I don't mean as international teachers. I don't mean that. I mean, every human is incredibly brave. And if you understand that earlier, your life, you will find a deep strength faster. And I just wish she knew that in in those moments. Wow. That was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Unrehearsed. It's awesome. <laughs> Be no brave. I love it. We don't use bravery anymore. It's been associated no. with um, killing animals and living in the wild and going off the grid and 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 putting all your money in the stock market. What's not brave? Braveness is is having a hard conversation with a coworker. Well, yeah, absolutely. Or your kid. That's bravery. And if we recognize the ways we're brave every day, maybe that's part of the work. We might start to break down those barriers a lot faster and recognize that we're doing the right thing in the moment. Kristen, you're not that first-year teacher anymore, man. She's not. She's not. She's not the 40-year-old teacher either, but she, she's on yeah. her way. She's brave. She's, she's brave. brave. Even That's if awesome. The most simple thing on earth, which is teaching. Yep. People think it's the simplest profession, right? 17 weeks vacation. How easy is that? But it, there's a lot of bravery that goes into what we do. And you're incredibly brave. Doing this is brave work. So I, I, I certainly appreciate that. Kristen, this has been such a lovely chat. Thank you so much. I'll Thank be in short to include in the show notes information on how to connect with you over social media or whatever. But I want to just thank you so much for the conversation. And um, I look forward to us continuing it later. Yeah, I'll let you know what my fi- I, I'll let you know what I find out. This is the start of a. Uh... For your, for your listeners, this is the start of my own personal investigation. I'm, I'm part of an actual okay. research program. And so this is the start. This is the processing okay. of And hopefully I'll have an answer in two years. So I'll let you know. I can't <laughs> wait. Hey, man, I'm I'm all about you being episode 200. So that sounds good to me. <laughs> I'll let you know what happened. All right. Thank you, Kristen. Take care. I so much appreciate it. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. Again, I'm Jason. I am the creator and host and one-man band when it comes to this podcast. I sincerely hope you enjoyed it. And please share it with your colleagues and friends and help me network with those folks who you think will benefit from listening to this podcast. If you own a company or you have connections where you would like to partner with me in this podcast, whether it be sponsorship or product reviews or any other possible services, please reach out to me. My contact information is in the show notes and I cannot wait to hear from you. I only do this because I love talking to people and I love sharing my passion with all the listeners. So If you are interested in possibly being a future guest, please reach out and get in touch. I can't wait to hear from you. I really want to hear about how this podcast and its guests are helping you become better 
or to enrich your lives. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, be good to one another. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We will see you on the next episode.